Well, good morning, Anthem. Go ahead, and if you have a Bible, open it to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, it's going to be near the end of your Bible. Uh, uh, it's the first letter uh, from Peter to the churches, 1 Peter 5. That's where we'll be today. We're going to be continuing our uh, series on the church, and specifically, why is the church worth it? Why is it worth it uh, to be a part of a church, to commit ourselves to a church? We're, we're looking at what is the church, and why is it worth it, again, to, to, to commit to the local church? And today, we're going to look at leadership in the local church, leadership in the local church, and specifically, why it's worth it to follow leadership in a local church. Why it's worth it to have leadership in a local church in our lives to, as Peter will say in today's uh, passage, to subject ourselves to leadership, to submit ourselves to leadership, to be guided by in our lives by healthy church leaders. Now, I know when, as soon as I start talking about that, a lot of us seize up. Uh, we've, uh, I, I think we've heard uh, a, a lot of the, the different scandals in the church and a lot of the different, uh, we probably have heard of stories of abusive church leaders and whatnot. And so immediately when I start talking about uh, submitting ourselves, subjecting ourselves to leadership, immediately we seize up. And, and I want to, I heard a story once that captures, I think, some of the dynamic that we might feel when I start talking about following church leadership. Uh, there was uh, a young, uh, there was a kid on a tour bus. Uh, you know, one of those, like, you go to the Middle East and you take a tour bus around and they teach you about, like, the Bible and different Bible themes and locations and whatnot. And they're on one of those tours. And while they were driving around, the tour bus driver was explaining what a shepherd is, what a, a leader of the sheep is. And they, and they pulled up next to a field and there was a shepherd out in the field. And he said, look at how that shepherd's out in front of the flock and look at how it's leading the flock. And, and all of the sheep, they hear the shepherd's voice, and they're following the sheep, right? And everyone's like, oh, that sounds so biblical. It sounds great, right? And so he's like, that's what a shepherd looks like. And, and so they, they're like, okay, that's what a shepherd looks like. Shepherd leads from the front, and everyone in the flock follows. And, and a little bit later, uh, the boy raises his hand because he's looking out the window, and he sees another flock of sheep. And, but this time, he sees the, what he, the shepherd behind the flock that's, that's kind of driving the flock, and he's yelling at the flock, and, and it didn't look like the last one, and so he raised his hand and said, wait a minute, uh, over there, that, that shepherd's not leading from the front, and the tour bus driver had them, you know, he stopped the bus, and he got off, and he went over into the field, and he asked the, the shepherd what, what, was, uh, what was going on, why wasn't he leading from the front, and just asked him questions about that, and then he got back onto the bus, and he had a big smile on his face, and I said, well, what are you laughing about, and he said, well, I found out that's not the shepherd. It's actually a butcher. And, and so, so the thing is, we, and here's why I tell that story, because we, when we hear about church leadership, when we hear as Paul's going to say, or as Peter is going to say, the need for shepherds over the flock, that question immediately comes up, how do we know that we're following a shepherd and not being driven by a butcher? How do we know? Because Peter in this text is going to say we need to have folks who are leading us. We need to have shepherds. And he's, he's talking here in the middle of writing to the church. He then turns and he addresses the elders, the shepherds, the pastors. We'll come back to that, that language in a little bit. But he's, he's addressing them in front of the church. Because he wants to not only speak to them, but he also wants the whole church to hear how he's addressing them. So the whole church would know what it means to have a good shepherd. And here's the thing. The reason why I bring up that shepherd and butcher language is because immediately after Peter lays down what it means to have healthy leaders in your life, healthy shepherds, he then goes on in verses 8 and 9 to, 
talk about being watchful because if you don't have a good shepherd, he says that you have the ultimate butcher, the devil, who's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, what Peter is saying is it's not a question of if you will follow someone. But the question is who? And will it be for life? Or will it lead to you being devoured? And so what we're going to look at today is why it's worth it to follow, I'm going to say healthy, church leaders. Why it's worth it. The main point is that healthy leadership plus healthy following as well will cultivate a healthy church. Healthy leadership plus healthy following within the body of Christ will lead to a healthy church. And we'll walk through that. And so here's what we're going to look at. First, the character of healthy leaders. Then second, why we often settle for the butcher. Why we often settle for the butcher. And three, the outcome of healthy leadership. So I'm going to first read the passage that I'm going to be preaching from today, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Uh, so again, 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1, down through verse 11. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you that as we journey throughout this life, as we seek you, Lord, we thank you that you've set apart leaders in the local church, Lord, to point our hearts, to direct our hearts to you. Lord, to lead out front, Lord, leaders who are captivated by a vision of you and who just strive towards you and call us to you. And so, Lord, I ask today that we would see what that healthy leader looks like. Lord, that also you'd help us to see where our lives are being driven by the butcher. Driven and isolated, separated off, driven to their own ends, to their own destination. And Lord, help us in the end to see that in the midst of a church that is following, ultimately everyone following and submitted to Christ, seeking him. Lord, how that leads to lives that are invested in eternal, lasting things. Lord, you open up our eyes and help us to see in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's the thing. All of us, this, this is a little premise that I have, and, and sorry, I believe that all of us long to be led. 
I believe there's something in us that as human beings that resonates within us, that, that kind of this, this pull within us that longs to be led. And it, and it could be someone from a parent to a coach to a mentor to a teacher to a professor, someone who can guide us into the unknown of life. I, I, I think it's like a billion-dollar industry, lifestyle coaching, right? Billion, maybe it's not billions, but it's millions, Right? It's a ton of money. It's a huge industry because there's such a need in us. And when we're growing, we don't know how to navigate life. There's a desire for someone to show us the way. And I believe that that's hardwired within us because we are made in the image of God. And God has made us to be ultimately led by him. As Peter says right before this passage begins, back at the end of chapter 4 in 419, he says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing so. We, we are made to entrust our souls to God. We're made to, to trust him, to follow him, to let him guide our lives. And, and here's the thing. Leaders are put in the local church to lead us, to entrust ourselves to them, to, to follow them as, as a tangible way of leading us in that reality. So it's not just some theoretical idea, like I'm entrusting myself to God, I'm following God's will for my life, but no one said we have shepherds who come into our life and they tangibly help us to follow the Lord and what he's calling us to. And Peter here, then he gives us immediately what it looks like, the character of a shepherd. What, what really drives the heart of a shepherd? And he does it in verse 1. He says, I exhort the elders among you. So again, he's, he's talking to the elders. I'm going to come back to that language of elder. You're like, wait, is he just talking about like older people right here? <laughs> or is he talking about a pastor? Who is he talking about here? And why are you using language of shepherd and leader? I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So Peter's saying, I'm another elder in a local church and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Here's what he says. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then he says, because of those realities, shepherd the flock. In other words, what Peter's saying is there, there, there are two things here that an elder has to just have his heart has to be just alive with and his heart has to be committed to and his heart has to be kind of transfixed by these things, passionate about these things. And if he has those things, then he can shepherd the flock that is among him. And those two things, first, he says a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's talking there about the death of Christ. That an elder, a shepherd, should be someone who realizes that they're not an elder, they're not a leader because of anything in and of themselves. They realize that they are in need of the grace, of the death of a Savior to, to save them from their own sin. See, godly leaders are not God. They're godly because they realize they have a dependence upon the grace of God. And therefore, the, but for the grace of God, there go I. And so leaders have a humility that comes with knowing that they are, if anything, as Paul says, the chief of sinners. And then he goes on to say, and then also a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. So not only the death of Christ, and, and so imagine if you just had a leader who just knew the death of Christ, and oh man, we all are sinners, and we're just worms, and you're a worm, and I'm a worm, so follow my worminess, right? Like, it's just kind of, ah, oh, like, it's, it's a downer, right? But instead, also, they're a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. They also realize not only we die with Christ, but also we rise with Christ. And so a, an elder or a pastor is someone who's passionate about the fact that, man, we walk out of the grave. We don't just die in our sin. We're not just, like, the debt, the, 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 our guilt is not just pushed us down into the grave and we just stay there. But also, man, we have freedom now and we have life and we can glorify God and we also have a calling 
And so they're pursuing Christ and they're seeing Christ on the throne and, and the kingdom of God that is that we're called to. And so they're just running towards that and they're calling out to everyone else as they're running in that direction, looking to Christ. They're constantly calling back this way, this way. See, here's the thing. Godly leadership points. Godly leadership points. It doesn't point to itself. It's not, it's not godly, godly leadership doesn't absorb and point to itself. It doesn't just say right here, this guy. But godly leadership is always running forward and pointing to Jesus Christ. To pointing to, as Peter says, the chief shepherd. And as they point, those around them are drawn to follow them just like the shepherd on the tour bus where he said the shepherd is out front calling to the sheep, saying this way, this way. This way to nourishment, this way to life, this way to green pastures, this way to our destination, to a city that does not end. It's the heart of a shepherd. Now, I, I want to break down how do we kind of, I guess in some ways, everything from like accountability to how does that work to how do we understand this language? And there's a chart that we use. Some of you have seen me draw this before, uh, and I'm just going to kind of walk you through some of these distinctives. Won't spend a ton of time on it, but just so you understand, what is a, a, a godly leader? What is a biblical leader, I should say? How do we understand this at Anthem? And, and so just a few things. One, so I'm going to start with one and two. So eldership, there's some of the passages also that you can look at in the New Testament uh, that have the qualifications and whatnot for, for an elder. We understand at Anthem that elder, you'll see that term used in the New Testament. Usually it's plural, elders. That's going to be important in a moment. Elders and pastors and shepherds being language that's used interchangeably. You'll see in the same verse sometimes, uh, elder and then pastor used in the same way, and they're just like interchangeable terms. So sometimes I'll get up here and I'll say, hey, I'm Matt, I'm an elder here at Anthem. And then other times I'll say, I'm Matt, I'm a pastor here at Anthem. And other times I'll say, I'm a pastor for teaching and equipping because I have a specific role that I fulfill as a pastor here. And so those, I use those terms interchangeably not to confuse you. Because like, I guess his title changed this week again, right? Why do they keep changing his title? What is he doing wrong? Uh, no, I'm doing that because I want you to get that all those terms are used interchangeably. And so uh, biblical eldership is how we understand it, that it's one, a qualified man. And, and what you see in places like 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3, and Titus 1 are qualifications for a man who is going to be an elder. They are characteristics. And it doesn't mean that they do it perfectly, but it does mean that these are dominant patterns in their life, that there are not dominant patterns that would disqualify them from, uh, for those things being true. It's not just kind of one event where they blow up or something happens, but it's a pattern that's ongoing where you see that they act formed in the image of Christ. And here's the reason why, because I think of eldership if something happens to me, I want to be able to say to my children, follow that man. Look to that man. When I'm gone, follow him. Imitate his ways, as Hebrews 13, 7 says. Imitate his ways in Christ. See how he leads. See how he leads his family. Because those are some of the qualifications. See how he leads his family. See how he leads his children. See how he loves on the church. See how he follows Christ. Follow that person. And so we have a qualified man, but then two, a plurality. A plurality. And what I mean by plurality is that there's more than one. So when I say that elders, you will never find the term elder just used by itself. Even here in verse 4, Peter's going to refer to be subject to the elders. Uh, throughout, you have elders as a term that's used plural. In other words, 
uh, we understand that there is a chief shepherd of Anthem Church, Jesus Christ. Literally, look at our org chart, and it has Jesus Christ, chief shepherd, and then elders underneath our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so, and that comes from here in 1 Peter 5. And so we have a, and then under Christ, there are a plurality of elders who are, have equal authority. And so I do not have authority over men, other men who are elders just because I'm the main teaching pastor. I submit to those men and they mutually submit to me as well. And so we lead as a team and we hold one another accountable. The, and by the way, I just have to say there, there's not a ton of time. I, I cannot tell you how much, I will say it this way, my soul needs to be held accountable in that way. Are so often in the American church now, I'm, we have all the media and we, and, and, and every week, I mean, here's the reality. I like most times I'm standing up here in front of hundreds of people and I'm saying, God's saying this. Do you think that could mess with my head and my heart after some time? I need to have other men around me who keep me humble, who walk with me, who, and I walk with them and keep them humble. And we hold each other accountable. It is an immense safeguard. I believe God has hardwired into how he's created leadership in the local church if we'll follow the biblical model to safeguard and, and safeguard one another and walk with one another. Uh, then third, uh, so then we ask, okay, how, how, what's the, what's the uh, that's kind of the character, what are the competencies? What do they need to be able to do? Well, the first thing is in terms of pointing to God, we do that with the word of God in prayer. That you see this in Acts 6 where they, the elders are set aside specifically for the ministry of teaching the word of God and also of praying for the flock. Because here's the thing. We can't lead you without the words of Christ. It's not our words. But then at the same time, and here's the thing. If anyone ever leads you and they're coming up with their own words and they're disregarding God's words, run. They have to call the sheep with Christ's words and call them to him. But also from that, how do you change people? Well, it's not, you know, the... Father, Son, and Holy Elders. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God works by making known the word of Christ and then also requesting and coming before the Spirit in dependence and saying, Spirit, will you do this work? And so we as elders, one of our primary jobs as well is to be praying for you. When we get together on, in Thursday mornings for our elder meetings, one of the first things we do is we spend time in our member roles praying for members. Because we believe that is where the power, the change actually happens. That's the most powerful thing that we can do is to teach the word of God clearly and then pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do the work that only God can do because you are God's flock, not ours. Then also though we lead the, the church and what does that functionally look like? One way of thinking about this is in terms of we call it uh, prophet, priest, king. And so what you need is you have to have a prophet, someone who can essentially like speak truth into our times. Take ancient truth, and I don't just go like, okay, and then this text in Leviticus, and this is how we apply it, so therefore, make sure you bathe before you come to church, right? Like, how, how does that get spoken into our times? And so a prophet is thinking, how do we take the word of God and speak it into our times, contextualize it um, for, for God's people today? And then also we have to be priests. We have to slow down and care and nurture and know the sheep to come around the flock, and, and when somebody's got a broken limb, to, to bind it up and to walk with them. And then also you have this kingly aspect that you're able to, to do vision and look ahead and see where does the church need to go, structures and systems so that the church can grow. So as the vine grows, there's a trellis to grow on so it can bear fruit. And so elders have to have all three of these. No elder is really strong in all three, but what happens because there's a plurality is you have some elders who are stronger and other elders, and you can lead one another. 
So this gives a, a picture, and I'll come back to referring to some of this, but hopefully this just gives a, a snapshot of how we understand elder, pastor, shepherd, why I'm using these terms interchangeably. And so what Peter says in verse 5 is be subject to the elders. And by the way, you might be saying, well, he says, you who are younger. So you're like, what if I'm older? What's the age cutoff for that, right? When, when do I get out of this deal? Well, here's the thing. In Hebrews 13, 17, he says, be submitted to your elders. There's no age qualification. This is for all the church, and that includes me as an elder, by the way, to be submitted to the elders of the church. And why? So they might point you to Jesus. So we might be pointing to Jesus. Which, so all this so far, it sounds good. So why do we settle for the butcher? Uh, what Peter says here, well, I'm just, it's the obvious. What Peter says here is about, about submitting to el- shepherds goes, or elders, goes against how we live as modern people. It goes against how we understand ourselves, how we form our identity, how we go about life. We go about life through autonomy, right? Autonomy just, it literally means one, uh, your own law. That we live by our own law. We, we live free of constraints. And if we can have freedom from constraints, then, in fact, we'll be free. And so here's the thing. It's one thing as a Christian. It's, it's, it's enough already that God calls us to. He says, here's, here's my law. Here's, here's what it looks like to be obedient and to submit ourselves to the Lord and our freedoms to be constrained in that way. But also then Peter comes along and he says, actually, you also should submit to yourself to local leadership who make sure that that's not just some idea you're just telling yourself in your head, but they actually make sure that, in fact, that is happening in your life. In other words, it's one thing for to submit to God. It's a whole other thing to make sure that you're submitted to a pastor who's making sure you're doing it. It goes completely against everything in our culture today. It summed up well Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City. His book, Making Sense of God, he says this, Today, as a culture, we believe freedom is the highest good. That becoming free is the only heroic story we have left. And that giving individuals freedom is the main role of any institution and of society itself. It is we, it is, we could say, the baseline cultural narrative of our Western culture. See, the main thread of the story we tell ourselves as modern people, the way that we understand ourselves, that we understand our relationship to others, is in terms of freedom. And that freedom is defined by autonomy and freedom from constraints. But here's the thing. Because I think immediately, and there's part of me that wants to share my stories, especially if we've been hurt by leaders. I have. It's part of my story. We hear of the abuse scandals. So it's hard enough already culturally because of how we understand freedom and autonomy. But it's another thing then when on top of it, we know of all the scandals and the pains and hurts and whatnot. And I, I understand why we immediately, when we hear this, we just go, mm, I'll pass on that one, right? But here's the thing. In finding freedom from submitting to leadership, church leadership, do we actually find freedom? I... Uh, this hit me in a whole new way when I was actually pretty young as a pastor. I think it was only two or three years in. And uh, I had a couple in the church where I got a call. And uh, the, in this case, the wife 
um, had left a husband. Um, she was having an affair, and she had moved in just that day with, she had left her husband and had moved in with uh, this man she had started an affair with. So I get a call, and, uh, and so I was like, okay, where, where is she? So I go. Um, this gives you an idea of what we do during the week. You're like, what do you do during the week as a pastor? Here's what we do. Uh, and so I go, and I knock on the door, and uh, hi, right? She opens up the door, what are you doing here? And I was like, uh, I'm your pastor, and there's a thing happening here. So can we talk? So we go out to this patio. She, she's like, fine, you get five minutes. So we go out to this patio, and I'm talking to her about it, and she just doesn't want to hear it. So I finally, I said, sorry, I'm trying to be careful not to say a name, uh, say her name. Uh, I sit down, and I open up Scripture, and I just read Scripture. I, I want her to hear God's Word. I, I realized at that point my personal pleading, things that I would say just weren't going, weren't going to be helpful. So I just gave her, like, warning passages from God's Word. Please come home to your husband. And I remember telling her, you are not free. You are not free. I remember reading it and just saying to her, you are not free. You're a slave to this. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but you're a slave. Well, it ended, and uh, she said things to me that I can't repeat in church. And, uh, and I left, and I thought to myself, well, that went well. And, uh, and then it was two or three days later. We'll make it three. It's biblical. Uh, I can't remember how many. I was like, oh, I was on the third morning. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden got a call from the husband. She had come home. And there was that realization of just needing to repent of the sin and, and return. But here's what then afterwards, remember we talked about when I sat down with her and it was like, what What happened? It was night and day. I mean, I, it's one of the clearest times in my life I've seen what is a miracle, where someone was so hardened and going this way, and then afterwards, they're just like the scales have fallen off, and they're going, I see clearly what was going on, and what she told me had been going on that she realized was that the whole time she thought she was free. She thought the whole time, I'm free, and, I'm, I, and the thing was, I want to be free from the constraints of this marriage. I want to be free from the constraints of, of my kids. I want to be free from all these constraints. And if I could just be free from these constraints, then I'd have freedom. And if I had freedom, then I could find life. And what I found was that, in fact, I was actually a slave. That, in fact, actually, the whole time when I was finding freedom, instead, I was just a slave to this guy's affections. I was just a slave to his demands. I was just a slave to these desires even that I had, that I felt like I was just in shackles and there was nothing I could do. She said I even felt like I was a slave to the, just like all the cultural messaging that she was getting all around her, telling her, go this way, go this way. See, the reason why I tell you that story is because the freedom we tell ourselves we can attain doesn't actually exist. Freedom from constraint. It doesn't exist. True freedom actually comes by submitting ourselves to the right constraints, to the constraints that give life. 
I heard an illustration once. If you, if you want to grow old and be a grandparent and play with your grandchildren, but at the same time, you know, you want to eat uh, a really unhealthy diet and then smoke a couple packs of cigarettes a day and whatnot, and you're like, well, you're, you can be free to do one and try to grow old and have time with your grandchildren, or you can be free to do the other, but you can't really do, have the freedom to do both. You're constrained. The issue is which, which one is more fulfilling, which one is more flourishing, which one is, more, are you, is really going to give you life, which one are you designed for? And you're going to be constrained no matter what path you pick. True freedom is found not in freedom from constraints, but in freedom or finding the right constraints. And here's the thing. I think until we do, we think we're free, but our lives are actually driven by the butcher. This is why I believe Peter addresses the whole congregation in verses 8 and 9 when he says, Be sober-minded. So remember, he's talked about being, follow this shepherd. Then he says, but be sober-minded. So he, this warning comes. He's saying, if you don't follow the shepherd, there's someone else. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering. How do you resist? By following your shepherds. By submitting yourself to your shepherds. Because here's the thing. Your life, just like my friend, by the way, their marriage was restored. They're walking with the Lord now, that couple. It's unbelievable. You would never, ever, ever know because of the work the Lord has done in their marriage. And that doesn't happen every time, not saying that. But man, how beautiful it was when she just realized how much of a slave she had been and what she helped unpack as I would talk to her over the years and we'd go back to that and visit it and talk about it was just the fact is that you have insecurities, you have shame, you have guilt, you have dependencies, and the devil is an accuser. And he will find out whatever that thing is in your life and he will drive you and give you a picture of something that he's going to call you to and he will drive you to. But all the time he's just driving you with your insecurities. You're not running to something, running to something that's going to be life eternal. But instead the whole time you're running from something, you don't even realize it. And he'll tap into whatever that thing is in you. And so often the things that we think we're pursuing in freedom are actually the result of deep brokenness we have not allowed to be healed and we're trying to address those things with things that can't actually fix our hearts. And Satan knows exactly what they are. And also I should say here that so often, if I'm going to go to the extreme of cults, this is exactly how they work. That you get someone who usurps the place of God and they're good at tapping into those things. The things that drive you your guilt, your shame, your dependencies, your insecurities, that gap in that love that you should experience and you're meant to experience in God. And what they do is they exploit it. They get in there and they drive you. And it's like a whole room that's just being driven by guilt or driven by shame. It's demonic. And it points them to themselves. And it gets them off course from following Christ off to wherever they want to take them. And they devour them. See, we often end up living driven along by the butcher and whatever it is in our lives that he can use in our souls. Because if we think we can be free apart from God's design for us to be subject to leaders who point us to Christ, we just end up leaderless and driven by the butcher.
And I know for some of you that's difficult to hear because you've been exploited by a shepherd, a butcher in shepherd's clothing, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And again, I'm very sympathetic to it. What you need to hear is that is wrong. It is a distorted picture of your true shepherd. And God will judge. And you can leave it in God's hands because God takes it seriously. This is why in Hebrews 13, when he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping a watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. I one day will give an account for my shepherding. All pastors, all elders, all shepherds will one day give an account for their shepherding. They will not escape God's judgment. Entrust yourselves to the ultimate shepherd. Listen, don't let bad shepherds turn your heart from the good shepherd. I know there's so many things in you, but believe me, the butcher just awaits. Cling to Christ. Cling to him. Now, I'm also aware that I'm a pastor saying these things, right? I'm an elder. I'm a shepherd. But hear this. We, the elders and I, we don't need your submission. You need your submission. I need my submission for the sake of my own soul. These things are here in God's word not because it just makes for some nice leadership model where we can control everyone. We don't need your submission. You need your submission because ultimately your submission to leaders will be the thing that keeps your heart on track and points you to Christ when all the things of life want to pull you off that track. It's people who are set apart to be able to keep their hearts focused on Christ like a laser beam. So in all the distractions and all the things of life, they can constantly be calling out to you this way, this way, when we're all at times wanting to go astray and go this way and that. And I hear again, I need that from, my, from the other elders. This way, Matt, this way. And pointing me to Christ. I would never, ever, ever be a pastor of a church without being a member of a local church submitted to local elders. That is a non-negotiable for me. My soul needs it. My family needs it. Follow healthy shepherds. Because it will not only change you, but it will change the church as well. Let's look at that in closing. The direction of healthy leadership. Peter says if a church has healthy leadership and a church that follows, the outcome is a healthy church. Why? Because obviously if we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep our eyes on the things that, on the things that are eternal and that matter and that are lasting, then obviously we're going to be a healthier church. Whereas if we're being driven this way and that by the butchers of life and we're letting ourselves, it's just going to end up completely tearing the church apart. But look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Do you catch that? One, elders, pastors are under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus, in other words, is the head pastor of Anthem. He's the one who's the head pastor of this church. 
And here's the thing. When we point to the chief shepherd, it creates a culture that also looks to the crown. Here's what I mean. When shepherds lead out of a motivation for the crown of glory, for the things that last, the whole church follows and shepherds one another motivated by a crown of glory. In other words, healthy leadership ripples throughout the body. Healthy leadership plus healthy following equals a healthy church culture. Now, and again, I'm getting that from when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, when I read that, I'll be honest, as like, it's like he's talking to the church here. He's also talking to elders specifically. And it's like if, when you're shepherding, you'll be motivated by this crown of glory. And I'll be honest, like the crown of glory talk in the Bible just doesn't motivate me. Um, like I'm not someone who like is thinking like standing there and having like some gold crown on my head. And I'm like, don't I look great? right? I don't know. Just jewelry doesn't really motivate me. Uh, Like if I go to Britain and I'm at the Tower of London and I'm looking at the crown jewels, I'm like, I don't understand why everyone's standing in line for this stuff. Like I wouldn't even want to wear that. It'd be uncomfortable. I'm balding. I need a full covering, right? I I don't, I don't know why anyone would be even motivated by this. So I get there and it's like, you get a crown and I'm like, yippee, right? Uh, So I always struggled with that. And that's because I always assumed that the crown's referring to a crown of gold. Because right? I'm thinking of like earthly kings. But in fact, actually, in the ancient, or not ancient Near East, Greco-Roman context, the crowns that were awarded were a wreath of flowers. They were a wreath of flowers. So probably the crown that he's talking about here is what they would see in their day, which would be put on people after they'd run a race or win a race, and they'd finish it, and they would put a wreath of flowers on their head. And the significance is that it was the amaranth flower. An amaranth flower, I think we have a picture here, is, is known for its unfading, bright, blazing red color. It never fades. And what's Peter saying? He's saying that there's nothing that you long for more than your life to be committed to, to be invested in, to be spent on the things that matter, the things that are eternal, the things that are unfading, the things that will last. And what he's saying is if we, follow, if we have healthy leadership, and we have a healthy church that follows that healthy leadership, then what will happen is we as a church will invest ourselves, everything we do will be pointed towards what matters. See, if we, if we don't, what will happen is we'll be focused on all the things that are fading, all the, the, the big budgets, right? And the big buildings and the big, I almost, I almost really just said big butts because that's the third B. But the, the butts, you know, the, the buildings and butts and budgets, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with having a large, having a big church, a church that's growing. There are healthy and unhealthy big churches and there are healthy and unhealthy small churches. But the reality is we want to be focused on the things that will last. All those things have their place, but they will fade. Instead, we seek what lasts. In the other main passage on leadership, in Hebrews 13, I almost preached from that actually. He says this, he says that we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That is what we do as a church. That's the direction of healthy leadership, not to build a kingdom now, but to seek a kingdom to come. See, the crown of glory isn't a payment. It's a statement that your life was spent on the things that don't and won't fade. And God has given us healthy leadership 
to keep our eyes pointed to our chief shepherd and what lasts. Because here's the thing, the butcher will prowl around. And he'll, he'll roar with accusations. He'll touch on that very thing in your soul. All of us have that thing, multiple things. And he'll roar and he'll cry out. But he cannot devour you unless you let him. He can bark and he can prod at your weaknesses, your insecurities, your dependencies. Do more, do better. You're not enough. But the Lion of Judah roars something completely different. I've done it. I am enough. I am your chief shepherd. I will lead you to a city that lasts where there is joy forevermore. Follow me. And how did he do it? How did he accomplish that? By following. He demonstrated true freedom by subjecting himself to the will of his father. Because he knew he could either be free to please himself or lay down his freedom to set us free. And instead of doing as he pleased, he was nailed to the cross. How's that for constraint? And in doing so, set us free from all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our dependencies, so we might have freedom and we might follow him to eternal life in a city that lasts. And he says, find your freedom in following leaders who will point you to me, who will help you to put the right constraints in your life so that you would be truly free, truly alive, pursuing me. Healthy leadership points to Christ and transforms those who follow. So that when the chief shepherd appears, the whole flock receives the unfading crown of glory. That's healthy leadership. And that's why it's worth it to follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, may our following of you as leaders lead to healthy following throughout the body. Lord, I ask where there is even a smidge amongst our leadership of pointing it on ourselves, of pointing in our direction, of pointing anywhere but to you. Lord, I ask that you would root it out. And Lord, that's a scary prayer because Lord, your path is a cruciform path. You, your path is a path in all the leadership passages. It focuses on suffering. It focuses on sacrifice. It focuses on laying down our lives and having something worth laying down our comforts for the sake of your mission in this world for the sake of being formed in you, of becoming more like you, of investing in a city that lasts. And Lord, I feel it so often, we as leaders want to point in a completely different direction, not on the cruciform path, not on the path to Calvary, not on the path to death and resurrection. But Lord, would you keep us focused on that path? Would you keep us following you? Would you keep us picking up our cross and following? And Lord, out of that, may we be a church who does likewise, who are passionate for your glory, who are passionate for knowing you. Lord, who don't use this day and age of a claim that we want freedom, Lord, to become enslaved 
but Lord, to put the right constraints in our life, Lord, so that we might be truly free in you. So Lord, give us wisdom, give us direction. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.